on. I'm on three seats. <laughs> Look, there goes the game. You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Tara Lynch. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday evening. Tonight, we explore the recent protests. Apple Fest comes back in a new way. Very, very stripped down. It's very much back to basics for it, so. A new documentary has its world premiere at Cinemopolis. I don't care what the state of South Carolina do, that's what we do. And movie theaters come back to Tompkins County from the comfort of your own car. Yeah, you, you feel a part of something, but uh, there's very little uh, actual human contact that you, you have with people. But first, let's hear what's going on in the Ithaca area with our Community Beat. Women's Opportunity Center, a local nonprofit that has provided employment-related resources and opportunities to women in Ithaca for over 40 years, may be in danger of closing after a drastic lapse in funding. After losing an annual 250,000 grant supplied by the New York State Department of Labor, which accounts for over 40% of the center's income and 100% of the payroll, all but two employees of the previous 10 remain. Ithaca's annual Apple Harvest Festival is changing up this year due to COVID-19. Festivities will take place over the course of six days with limited vendors in the commons. Due to the new structure, event coordinators have decided to rebrand this festival as Apple Fest. One big change this year is that vendors will be picking out the apples for you in order to avoid multiple people sorting through the apples to find the ones they want. The Ithaca Rotary Club announced the winners of 14 community grants to local organizations on Tuesday. The awarded 12,000 will fund projects ranging from personal protective equipment for an after-school program, packets of seeds and vegetable plants for low-income families, and online programming for a local youth theater group. Ithaca Police announced the arrest of 34-year-old Kashin Kamel on September 24th. Kamel was charged with third-degree burglary, fourth-degree criminal possession of stolen property, third-degree identity theft, false personation, and an additional arrest warrant for petite larceny. Police report that these crimes occurred on multiple dates throughout August and September. Kamel was remanded to Tompkins County Jail by Ithaca City Court Judge Seth Peacock. Police have also found several items that were in Kamel's possession they suspect to be stolen property. In an attempt to protect tenants from potential evictions, the Ithaca Tenants Union has announced the start of a tip line that can be used by people facing evictions. As housing advocates prepare for a long-feared wave of evictions that would take place as the pandemic continues. Renters can visit www.ithacatu.org evictions or dial 607-358-5048 if they or someone they knew is facing an eviction and will be connected to a trained union stewards. On September 23rd, a few dozen people gathered against racist police violence and called for the defunding of police both locally and nationwide. The gathering, planned after the announcement that two of the three police officers involved in the murder of Breonna Taylor were not charged, was meant to be a vigil to mourn the loss of the victims of police violence. 
Local residents gathered at the Black Lives Matter mural painted at the intersection of State and Plain Streets and lit candles to commemorate the victims of police violence. I'm Emma Kirsting, WICB News. Last weekend, two opposing groups met in downtown Ithaca, those gathering for a Back the Blue rally and those counter-protesting supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Correspondents Madeline Lorraine, Christian Matry, and Skylar Eagle were on the ground covering the rallies. Dozens of people gathered for a Back the Blue rally in front of the Ithaca Police Department last Sunday. They were met with a counter-protest in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. For the past three and a half months, Clinton Street and the Ithaca Police Department have seen protests in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. The organization has called for the defunding of IPD and the reallocation of funds towards other community services. Um, well, I really believe in defunding the police. I believe that we should be putting resources towards other sorts of community support and that police promote violence. I'm Madeline. I'm Christian. And I'm Skylar, and we got the chance to talk to a few people about why they were there. I'm here because my son is a police officer. We are going to continue to stay diligent and vigilant about Black Lives Matter. I spoke with Back the Blue protest organizer Rocco Lucente from Spencer, New York. When I approached Lucente, he had just finished addressing the crowd with a megaphone. He was clad in a Make America Great Again red hat. Oh yeah, I'm just happy to see that people came out. I, uh, I'm very proud to see that there are so many people who are here to support Ithaca Police Department, the Tompkins County Sheriff's Office, and so many others who protect us every single day and who have too often been demonized in our community by the local politicians, frankly by local media, and by local activists. Lucente wasn't the only person speaking into a megaphone. Zachary Wynn was standing in front of the Ithaca Police Department, surrounded by a crowd of Back the Blue supporters. He claimed he sustained injuries after observing a Black Lives Matter protest, and allegedly witnessed two white elderly motorists get assaulted by protesters. It is important to note that the two elderly motorists were never physically assaulted, despite Wynn's claims. So I was in the position of either staying in that vestibule waiting to talk to a phone that was ignoring me to be attacked or come out here and run away and go home or try and do something to help two innocent people. After the incident was filed by the police, a tweet surfaced claiming that the motorists were white supremacists who drove through the crowd of protesters. Wynn gave his opinion on the matter. Some of the activists claim it was a white male white supremacist who barreled into the crowd with hate in his eyes. And then it was only later when the video came out that they completely changed their tune and our fine mayor, who had likely put the policy in place that allowed this mess to occur in the beginning, According to the Cornell Sun, Mayor Savante Myrick released video footage of the altercation. Myrick stated that he believed the motorists, quote, meant no harm to the protesters. 
I spoke with supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement asking why it was important to them to show up on Sunday. This is not about who's American, who's not American. This is about equality, equity, and people after 400 years being treated like human beings. The movement picked up speed following the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor earlier this year, sparking nationwide protests. But some of the people in the community are focusing on local reform. Sean Herb is an Ithaca College student who says he's looking to get more involved in local activism. So I'm a senior theater production and design student in Ithaca College, and I live here. In, uh, up, I live off campus. So when COVID started, I was here in August anyway. So just wanting to get more active in the community because it's not as many ways to get political on campus. So. BB Brown is the Central New York coordinator for the Alliance of Families for Justice, an organization that defends individuals who feel they've been harmed by the criminal justice system. Brown spoke to Black Lives Matter protesters at the Bernie Milton Pavilion, encouraging the community to be there for people of color. When they come out, they come out for us. They don't come out for you white young people. They come out for us. Brown says she wants to help people understand how black people are treated differently by police. What I'd say to them is to really go deep and ask themselves, are they really proud of how police have been killing black and brown people, women, children, LGBTQ+. Are they really proud of the work that they have been doing? I spoke with supporters of the Back the Blue rally about why they wanted to attend the event. People came from all over the Finger Lakes and Southern Tier region, each with a specific reason which drew them out. One group that came out in support of police was the Southern Tier chapter of the Punisher's Law Enforcement Motorcycle Club. A worldwide organization, the Punisher's acts as a paramilitary group in their chapter regions. My name is Tyke Morris. I am the president of the Finger Lakes chapter of the local Punishers. The Punishers is an LE organization. We are a law enforcement group. A majority of our members are active law enforcement or retired law enforcement. We are here today to support the Ithaca PD and the things that they do. Morris told me that he understands the call to take action against police officers who are bad or do wrong. This one of the biggest things I'd like everybody to understand is there are good and bad in all walks of life. It doesn't matter the walk of life that you belong to, but you're going to find bad and you're going to find good. We have, we have things set in place to take care of the bad, and that's the way it should be. However, Morris and the Punisher's Club don't believe in the call to defund the police here in Ithaca and across the nation. Morris told me he believes there would be negative consequences for removing police officers or their funding. Defunding the police will not accomplish anything. Defunding the police is only going to lead to more widespread crime. When you defund the police, they're not there to be able to protect you and help you in a way that they should. We, our organization is, supports law enforcement and the things that they do. Other rally participants wanted to speak with me about their attendance, but chose to remain anonymous. Many shared sentiments with those in the Punisher's Motorcycle Club. We're just here to support the local police department. I had a lot of friends that worked for the department over the years, and 
uh, you know, they deserve our support given what's going on in the country and how disrespected they've been. I think it's great. It's a peaceful protest. We're showing support. Nobody's being disruptive or disrespectful to anybody. And all these police officers, whatever color they are, they are his brothers and sisters. So I, I don't see what the issue is with all this racism business. For WICB News, I'm Madeline Lorreen. I'm Skylar Eagle. I'm Christian Matry. You can find our coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement and more at WICB.org. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Tara Lynch. Thank you for sticking with us on your Sunday evening as we close out September. And the end of September always means a very fun festival here in Ithaca. That's right, Apple Fest is returning. Of course, in order for this to happen, there will need to be a lot of changes. WICB News Assistant Manager Celine Tatar spoke to Downtown Ithaca's Special Events Director about what's being done to keep it safe. Uh, Scott Rougeau, Special Events Director for the Downtown Ithaca Alliance. Thank you. And um, moving on to the questions, unfortunately, there will be no traditional Apple Fest this year, but we do have a socially distant version of it. Um, could you tell me a bit about this event? Absolutely. Yeah, it's socially distant and um, very, very stripped down. It's very much back to basics for it. So, um, you know, usually there would be three blocks on Cayuga Street blocked off for craft vendors, food vendors, farmers, you know, the commons would be filled, West State Street would be filled um, with rides and games. Um, this year, we're, just to keep it safe, we're having six farm vendors on the commons each day, Monday through Friday, uh, starting the 28th um, through the 2nd. So um, the vendors will be out there from noon to about four o'clock, um, depending on weather, of course, but um, we figured it was a, it was a nice way to Celebrate the season, the changing of the of the weather and everything, but also, um, you know, give the farmers a, a chance to come down here and make some sales. Um, they've all, all of our vendors have been hurt by by COVID nineteen, like everyone else has. But um, we just wanted to celebrate the season, keep it fresh in everyone's minds too, and remind them that it'll be back in some capacity next year as well. So. And um, aside from reducing the number of vendors and reducing the hours and the days, what kind of safety precautions are being taken? We've been working with the health department to make sure that um, we're being as safe as possible. So um, usually if you've been to an apple harvest, the booths are right next to each other and just completely fill the space. Um, each booth is going to be at least 10 feet apart from the other, from its neighboring booths, um, creating extra distance there. We're going to, uh, masks will be required um, when inside the farmer's market. Um, we're enforcing social distancing. We're going to have markers on the ground to space out. Um, appropriate spaces. Um, all the vendors are also going to uh, be required to have hand sanitizer available um, at their booths. Um, there won't be any any food being prepared on site. Um, everything's going to be prepackaged, ready to go, and the uh, the vendors themselves will be handling uh, most of the produce. So um, you'll walk up and say, "I'd like you know half dozen apples," and they'll pick the apples for you instead of having different people come in and, and touch the produce. So. Mm -hmm. And um, you did mention that there's going to be six different farms. Um, usually in Apple Fest, there are a lot of activities, a lot of different types of food. Um, what kind of experiences can people expect this year? Um, so this year, again, we're going to have the farmers down there. There, there won't be any live entertainment like bands or, or, or you know, musicians or anything like that. 
Um, but we are uh, incorporating a cider trail as well. Um, so that's an event that's going to actually start the weekend before um, the 24th and run through the um, following weekend, which is the 4th, 10-4. Um, so the cider trail is um, a passport program, um, completely free for the passport, but it's um, promotion for the shops and businesses and restaurants downtown, um, just to promote apple and harvest themed dishes and drinks and cocktails and stuff. So um, someone would pick up a passport, get it stamped every time they visit one of these locations over the week plus, um, and then they could turn that in um, to win a, win a prize. Awesome. And what kind of foot traffic are you expecting for this event? Um, we, we, we've hoped that it'll be relatively light compared to, to years past uh, for the apple harvest. You know, we intentionally picked, you know, the week instead of the weekend for the, for the farmer's market just to keep uh, foot traffic down. Uh, the same with um, our hours. We're going noon to four just to kind of keep it as, as small as possible. We will have stanchions out there just to, um, you know, if, if it gets too busy, we'll have to ask people to wait before they enter and stuff. Um, we're really, you know, maybe 50 people um, at a time, um, but we will be out there. Um, our staff will be out there just to make sure um, that we don't exceed, you know, uh, a group of 50 at any given time. So um, we'll have stanchions placed and, you know, limit access if needed. So. And are there any other adjusted events that people should be looking out for um, later in the, later in the year? Later in the year, we're actually um, also um, still planning our winter light festival. Um, again, it's going to be a very um, stripped down basic version of that. So in the past, we've had a silent disco. Um, we've had a, a bar out there. Um, this year, we're, we're focusing more on the light installations. A couple of local artists, we worked with them last year, actually. They brought uh, Sparky the Unicorn down, which was a huge hit. So they have several more uh, tricks up their sleeve that they're going to bring down this year, um, both with physical light installations uh, and sculptures, but also projection light. Um, and we might have a hot cocoa bar. We're still still deciding about that, but um, no alcohol this year, obviously. Um, and that'll actually, we'll have a, um, our Bite of Ithaca will be taking place um, during that event as well. So that's um, a week plus long event where uh, participating restaurants offer, you know, smaller uh, bite-sized versions of their normal um, offerings. So uh, for $5 or less most of the time. So. Awesome. Those are all the questions I have. Is there anything that you would like to add? Um, just, you know, we are grateful for the support from the city and the health department and all of their help and guidance through all of this and, and our sponsors, of course. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us. Apple Fest will run through October 4th. The open air farmers market with a select number of vendors will be available for visitors from noon to 4 p.m. For more information, visit downtownithaca.com. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Tara Lynch. Thanks for sticking with us tonight. Cinemopolis recently featured the world premiere of a new documentary, America Street by Idrizu Mora Kapai. It was treated to a panel discussion and more. The big difference, though, it was all done virtually. Correspondent Antonio Ferme has more. We've lived here on this corner in Charleston for 57 years now. Uh, my mother opened up a restaurant here back in 1958. I thought 
once I was gone and we opened it up in a sweet shop in 68, that she needed help and you could not leave her by herself to handle everything. So it was left on me and I took it upon myself to help her. That was the voice of Joe Watson, the central figure from Adriso Morikapai's new feature-length documentary, America Street. Joe is the owner of a small corner bookstore in Charleston, South Carolina, the heart of an old but slowly disappearing black community. Morikapai began filming the documentary back in 2015, which captures glimpses of Joe's daily struggles that took place over the course of three months after incidents of racially motivated violence in the city including the killing of Walter Scott by a police officer and the Emanuel Church Massacre by a young white supremacist. America Street is described as an elegiac tone poem about broken dreams, disrupted lives, love of community, and voices bearing witness to collective identity. Adriso Morikapai is an assistant professor in the Department of Media Arts Sciences and Studies at Ithaca College. He is also an award-winning documentary filmmaker, whose films have been screened worldwide. Morikapai moved down to Charleston back in 2013, where he said to have an array of complex and complicated feelings with the city. The harsh reality that I witnessed daily, the very tense racial relations and ongoing deep structural segregation that characterized the city. Charleston has a particular history of being the number one port city for African slaves and the West African heritage still exists there. Morikapai said that Charleston is one of the top tourist destinations that represents itself as this beautiful, shining southern town. But that it's far from that. The racialized nature of social inequality felt more striking to me here than in other places I, I have visited in the U.S. because a black middle class is almost absent. Morikapai said this is what led him to creating his film, America Street. Discovering more about this paradoxical place seems to me important to better understand America's race problem more broadly, which created a strong urge in me to make a documentary there. While Morikapai was working on the promotion of his film, the pandemic began and it completely disrupted the industry. The festivals where the film was programmed to premiere were canceled, including the Finger Lakes Environmental Film Festival, also known as FLEF to many local Ithacans. Dr. Patricia Zimmerman, a professor at Ithaca College and co-director of FLEF, said that she believes the pandemic has altered the industry that we once knew permanently. The global pandemic has dramatically altered the film and communications industry. And I actually doubt it will ever go back to what people refer to as normal. I just really don't see that happening. Like most other people during this pandemic, Zimmerman had to play her cards and think creatively when it came to premiering Morika Pai's documentary. With our partner, Cinemopolis, we had to do what is known as a quick pivot. And we entered into virtual cinema, which is very much unknown terrain. Virtual cinema is quite different than what you see on streamers like Netflix. Virtual cinema is a new type of medium for consumers to watch newly released independent films. It has been set up to benefit theaters, art houses in particular, that the pandemic has shuttered. The service works similar to a typical online rental, except that part of each admission price supports a real-life cinema of your choosing. 
America Street was originally going to have its global premiere at Ithaca's own Cinemopolis before the pandemic hit. Now, it will be available on Cinemopolis's virtual cinema until October 1st. Zimmerman has been working closely on the rollout of Morikapai's film, and back in June, she said she made a move that was very risky. During the protests over Mr. George Floyd's murder by the Minneapolis police, we worked with uh, Mr. Mora Kapai to put the film on virtual cinema with Cinemopolis, which is another partner in this project, and to offer the film for free for one week. This was a contribution Professor Mora Kapai, Fleff, and Cinemopolis would make to the ongoing debates on racial injustice literally around the world. Zimmerman said although this was an unusual move, she thought it was worth a try to screen the film for free for one week. As a result, they had over 7,000 viewings of the film from 55 different countries. This is unprecedented. I could not get 7,000 people to a film at the festival and at Cinemopolis or any movie theater. They would never have 7,000 people. Zimmerman said that the film is not a giant spectacle about race relations, but it is a very careful immersion into the black community in Charleston, which was the site of slave trade. This was really not about a filmmaker's success. This was about a filmmaker, a film festival in a theater, seeing the great urgencies in the world as the international and national protests erupted about this wrongful death. And this was a way to contribute to those dialogues. This is also a film about American race relations that is being directed by someone who's not an American, someone who is from Benin, West Africa. And if you know your history, you know that slaves, uh, the slaves that came to America in the transatlantic slave trade came from West Africa. So this has very deep historical resonance. This is a foreign national filmmaker of great renown whose films have taken on very large political issues, the war in Vietnam, environmental destruction in Africa. His style is not an American style. It's much more subtle, much more philosophical, much more inquiring. Yo, Clinton Wonders. Yeah, Lieutenant Cosby. Yo, Washington Cosby. Yo, Washington Cosby. You're looking for what? Y'all needed to have a sign. Yeah, a sign. Sign that's a Lieutenant Cosby. Yeah, car wash. Oh, y'all just cleaning the inside? Yeah. You still needed a sign so people come by to see it. Huh? Or a sign that y'all put out to say, well, you're going to be clean. Yeah, he doing a documentary on me. Yeah, uh-huh. John, uh, what I'm about to do, um, same things I've been doing for years, helping in my community. All right, come on, I'll get you back. On Wednesday, September 23rd at 4 p.m., the Park Center for Independent Media and FLEF hosted a virtual panel discussion celebrating the premiere of the documentary America Street. The panel included professors Maura Kapai and Zimmerman, along with speakers Reese Aguist, Associate Professor of Critical Media Practices at the University of Colorado Boulder, R.A. Judy, Professor of Critical and Cultural Studies at the University of Pittsburgh, Janet Walker, 
professor of film and media studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and Brett Bassard, the executive director of Cinemopolis. Each speaker had many great remarks to share with a live audience about Morika Pai's documentary, including Professor Aguist, who said there are not many films like Morika Pai's still being released today. It's a mode of filmmaking that sadly is being lost, but I'm happy to know that it is alive in Idrisu. Aguist described Idrisu as someone who took the time to wear Charleston as if it were a jacket on his back absorbing the history and culture of the community, and then giving it back to the world as something quite unique. And for that reason, I believe this film is not only of immense uh, historical significance, but it's going to resonate in the future because it's also a document of a city in transition and the slow erasure of a black community through the processes of gentrification. As long as we're not serving the lowest means on the scale, we're not doing our job. When we know that the educational system here in Charleston and in the state of South Carolina is 49 and 50, and we don't address that or don't raise it, we know we're creating a greater pool of people who aren't able to make it in life. You got 12,000 people moving here a year, all right? And they're getting those high-paying jobs. We're not educating our children and creating the avenues so they can get it. And so there's greater need that you have to focus on in this, and not just with the law. I don't care what the state of South Carolina do. It's what we do here in Charleston. And if we demand it, then we get it. Maura Kapai filmed America Street back in 2015, but it was only finished in 2019. He said watching the film in 2020 had a way more urgent feel to it, but that we are turning in circles, in a way, of such painful feelings. I mean, since the killing of Walter Scott, uh, nothing has really changed. Uh, black people who die in the hand of the police hasn't stopped, and the list of names endless. And perhaps uh, what changed is that Black Lives Matter's movement has become stronger in the U.S., uh, but also spread to many other places across the globe. Maura Kapai said when the Black Lives Matter movement began, it was a Black thing. Now, that is not the case anymore. The number of allies among other people of colors and white people had grown. And this gave me hope. Uh, but at the same time, the, the black lash has become more violent, so which is also scary. Moving forward, Maura Kapai said that he believes change will only happen once our country becomes united in fighting racism. I want to borrow this nicely expressed statement by Angela Davis. They say, in a racist society, it's not enough to be non-racist. We must be anti-racist. Uh, th this means uh, that change can occur only if we are, we are all committed to dis uh, dismantling all ideologies uh, that inferiorize other people and, and the structures that are meant to maintain uh, these ideologies in practice. As a filmmaker, Moore Kapai said that he is still frustrated with the lack of diversity presentations in mainstream media. Nevertheless, he seems to believe that our society is headed in a more positive direction. So would you say you have hope for the future? 
Yes, yes, yes. Really, with for what I mean happened today, what we see the last you know few months, I I can say yes. I can firmly say yes. There's hope. You know, seeing all these young people going out, saying enough is enough. I want to be different. You know, I'm different. I need a new world, a world where people you know can just you know live together. You see outside, they are 19, 20, right? 25 years old. And, you know, from different colors together and decide to fight racism. That's fantastic. For WICB, I'm Antonio Fermi. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Tara Lynch. Movies aren't just back virtually, though. Theaters are back open, too. Just not your normal experience of sitting down in a big, dark room. Instead, the sky will just get dark for you. That's right, drive-ins, something thought to be retro just a few months ago, are back. Correspondent Phoebe Harms has more. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, there haven't been many opportunities for people to socialize while still maintaining a safe distance from others. However, one activity in particular has been surging in popularity during the last few months, and it has allowed several communities, including Ithaca, to come together once again. Drive-in movies, which only a few months ago were considered a thing of the past, have become a perfect form of safe socialization during these unprecedented times. And as of this summer, the drive-in Ithaca has brought that opportunity to the Ithaca community. Yeah, you you feel a part of something, but uh, there's very little uh, actual human contact that you you have with people. If you're you're feeling uh, concerned with exposure to COVID or the risk of being uh, in in a large group. That's Oni Sedich, an Ithacan who, along with a few others, has held these showings three times a week since they began operations mid-July. The idea came in that people are need to uh, be socially distanced and people are looking to get out of the house, you know, after the first month or two. The screenings are held at the future site of City Harbor at 101 Pier Road, just off of the busyness of South Meadow Street. For each showing, the crew sets up an inflatable screen, individually parks each guest, and even provides a movie snack. The Luna Street food truck is parked on site throughout the screening, and guests are able to order food while still maintaining a distance. The movies have spread across a range of genres, but have mostly been family-friendly, like Grease, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Jurassic Park. That way, the driving can serve as an activity for anybody who's interested. I myself have definitely been looking for an excuse to get out of the house, so I went over to the drive-in on Friday night. After being handed a menu and led into my spot, I stuck my hat out of my window to observe the other moviegoers. There were families seated in truck beds, couples out for a date night, and groups of friends sitting on blankets in the backs of their cars. There was plenty of conversation and laughter until the 1984 Karate Kid started playing. After that, the only sound was an occasional start of an engine or someone leaving their car to walk to the Luna truck. Oni said that since it is getting colder, showings will probably only resume for another month or so. 
but he emphasized what a great opportunity this has provided community members who haven't been able to leave their homes. There's plenty of, you know, hiking and nature and th things that you can get out and do, but there's, you know, for the longest time, no movie theaters, no, no bowling alleys, that kind of stuff. Traditional forms of entertainment that people are able to get out and, you know, spend a weekend night with their family going to do something. So um, I think it's great. It's a great option, um, especially even for, for older people or people that are higher risk. Not only is it great for individual Ithacans or families, but it felt good to once again feel a sense of togetherness in the community. Stepping outside of my car during the movie on Friday, I could just barely hear the noise of the film coming out of each individual car I walked past. It was good to hear that even though each person was separated by their cars, they were all doing something together. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now! You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear the show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscasts every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't be possible without the support of Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager, Sam Ives, Programming Director, Lou Barron, News Director, Jay Bradley, News Managing Director, Celine Tutar, Programming Director, Hamadri Sayeth, and all of our correspondents. Thank you so much. And we thank you, the audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, or just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We will be back next Sunday with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. For now, I'm Tara Lynch, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 WICB.